Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And we are not joined by our guy, Wes Davenport, this week for the most important reason you can think of. Wes and his wife, I won't drop her name just in case she doesn't want us to, but they are celebrating their second wedding anniversary today on Monday, July 17th. So Wes was like, well, I could make this. We were like, Wes, go enjoy your anniversary with your wife. We'll hold it down. And so Wes is not with us this week. He'll be back next week. But big shout out to Wes and his wife for their second year wedding anniversary. Everybody's married in this spot except me. I got I, I to gotta set my game up clearly. No, congrats to Wes and his wife. Uh, you know, of course, we would not send him away from his special day to talk about Asar Thompson and Isaiah Stewart and everything we have on deck today. So we will bring Wes back into the fold next week. And in the weeks after, too, I mean, we're about to get into peak offseason mode. So I'm sure we're going to have some some more games coming up and whatnot. Yeah, some more Sheeter Sham coming up. But yeah, they need to enjoy the thing. And Amari, you're just the most eligible bachelor in Detroit. And so um, it'll happen one day, my guy. You're still young. You're super young, man. 29. I feel like super young is like those days are past. I'm like in the middle now. You know, I'm like, you know, if I were an NBA player, I'd be like in the midst of my prime. But it would also be like two or three years left before they start salary dumping you. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You know, I got to put the pedal to the metal. Salary dumping. All right, let's get into some ratings, <laughs> reviews, some stuff like that. First, I got to shout out our parents, Amari. You sent me a picture a few days ago. The OG Omari Sankofa repping the Pistons Pulse hoodie. I love it. I don't know if you saw the email from Wes's mom. She sent an email to the squad about, I guess we talked about getting socks and underwear for Christmas on the last episode. Um, some of this stuff just runs together. So we got an email from her just shout out our parents and the support they give us listening to the pod engaging with the pod and we've truly all become friends and got to know each other yeah we have yeah i got my parents some uh pistons post merch before i left for vegas um, i put the photo of my dad modeling the hoodie on twitter so if you miss that go check it out and hey the merch is for sale merch is for sale so uh check out i forget the exact name of the website actually if you just typed in usa today merchandise business post on google it would probably come up so uh support the pod uh support our merch so we have hoodies we have t-shirts we have coffee mugs uh all sorts of stuff on there and uh parents the parents of the pod are big fans of the merch so go ahead and get your parents whoever else something for labor day whatever holidays are coming up like what's like the main holiday of like august is there one no idea like uh halloween's the next one i don't like halloween thanksgiving's the next one i'm thinking about just because i love food so much this is why we need west though like west would have it in the private chat right now what the actual website was and so this just shows how much he is important to us a few other things i ran into a fan at the denver airport i landed and this is just crazy to me we talked about last episode amari how people are recognizing in the stands shouting out the pod as we're walking around vegas and stuff i ran into a fan who i had met at the nuggets game that i went to in November. I'm leaving the airport. He's coming into the airport. So just wanted to give him a shout out. Like this is just, it's insane to me, man, that we have real fans of the pod that are giving us shout outs. So, and here's our guy, Robin. You guys don't know Robin. Robin is the GOAT. You see my new setup right here. Omari will have his soon. This is all Robin Chan, our audio producer. He is big time. So usatodaystore.com backslash P backslash Detroit Free Press. So check that out for gear. Also wanted to shout out a fan from Sweden that reached out on Twitter. Uh, Low Quince, I don't, I don't know, but from Sweden. And then guys, we Amari, we got so many 
We got so many new reviews on Apple. We're not going to read them all today. We will get to them eventually, guys. I promise. But thank you. Everybody watching on YouTube, give it a like, give it a share, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Apple, Spotify. We're crushing over there with all these new ratings. We appreciate you guys so much. That helps us grow. It helps us expand and find new listeners. So I'm going to read one today. We'll get to the rest. I promise you, if you left a review, we'll get to you eventually. But this one says, best Pistons podcast in the world. Bryce, Amari, and Wes are the ultimate team at breaking down the entirety of Pistons basketball from roster construction from a front office perspective to analyzing how the Pistons are playing. As a coach and basketball junkie myself, I always feel like I'm learning more about the game when I tune in. Just the compliments are incredible, Amari. Like we say this every week, but we really do appreciate just the number of detailed comments we get. Uh, we got like a flood, like six or seven last week uh, after the Vegas episode, uh, me and Bryce recorded in person, of course. And, it means a lot. You know, it really does mean a lot. So we appreciate you all. And uh, starting next week, going back to the mic, I will have this fancy uh, mic and stand set up that Bryce has. I've heard that, you know, apparently my voice uh, could be a bit rough on the ears when you listen in the car or, or, or elsewhere. So hopefully we can kind of rein that in uh, when I come in. We have to do set up next week. I altered my Yeti mic like Robin's the goat. He got me he changed my settings or the mic and everything. I don't know if you guys can hear the difference this episode, but next week it should come in a lot clearer. I just hope you guys are like, we. this stuff matters to us. We're paying attention to yeah. it. We're spending money on it. We talk about it. We discuss it. I think you sound better this week, Amari, but I mean, I always enjoy Thank listening you. to your voice. You're my guy. So, Thank you. all right, Thank let's, you. let's talk that. some Pistons. Enough love <laughs> about us and our families and our listeners. Again, we, we appreciate you guys so much. The ratings and reviews are awesome. We'll get to the rest of those, I promise. But let's talk Detroit Pistons. Let's start with Isaiah Stewart. We... Recorded last week on Sunday, Amari, the Stewart news came out on Monday night. We probably wouldn't have been able to record anyway. It was like super late on Monday night anyway. So we probably wouldn't have got it out for Tuesday. But we're able to talk about it now. What were your initial reactions? You kind of had it first, the Isaiah Stewart extension. Break that down for us and just kind of your thoughts on that for the Pistons. So obviously, Isaiah Stewart signs the four-year, $64 million extension. I think I think Willis might have had that first, but I think I was first on like the specific specifics on it uh really a 60 million with incentives could push it to 64 and then along with that the fourth year is a team option so really it's like guaranteed it's just like 345 uh which i mean we talked about the numbers we thought he would get you know on, on this pod i've written about it uh, really wasn't a surprise that he got extended it was just a matter of when and what the final numbers were and i was I mean, I thought that was the range he would probably get. Like, I thought 14, between 14 and 16 was kind of his sweet spot. So basically 345 team option. Uh, to me, that's the, the sweet spot for a player with his skill set, right? Where he's already a plus defender. He could switch, you know, four small ball, five, whatever you need. And then, you know, of course, the three-point shooting's got to come. He was about 33% last year in his first real season as a volume three-point shooter. But uh, he started off, he was like 38%, like, like the first half of that, and then kind of fell off a little bit. Then he had the shoulder, which, of course, didn't help. But, I mean, I've always been a big believer in his shot. Like, I even just remember talking to his coaches at, when he was in college, uh, when he first got drafted, and they were like, behind the scenes, he can, he, like, he can knock down shots. Like, this is something he can do. So, uh, to me, like, that was uh, pr- probably right in the range of what I expected. Bryce, I mean, I think you're probably feeling pretty similar, like, yay or nay on the Isaiah Stewart extension. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Like, I didn't think 
I don't think anybody would say it's just some sort of steal or something like that. Now, it could look really good, right? If he really starts to shoot the ball. And I think you just said it, but effectively, this is a three-year, $45 million contract, Amari. You know, the club option on year four, there's some incentives to get it to 64. I went to Spotrack today, which is a great resource, guys. If you don't use Spotrack.com, you should. It helps. I mean, it outlines so much stuff. And it looks like it's a flat contract. So 15 million years every... Or excuse me, $15 million a year, all four years, obviously club option on that final year. So he's on the books for 5.3 this year, and then 15, 15, 15 club option on the fourth year. That's right under, or excuse me, right over the non-taxpayer mid-level exception, Omari. So we're not talking about just crazy money for this guy as this salary cap increases what most people feel like is 10% year after year as the new TV deal kicks in. So I think it's fine. If... Stewart doesn't knock down shots at 38% on high volume. It's probably a little bit of an overpay. If Stewart does, then it's probably a little bit of an underpay. I think what it comes down to, I don't know how you feel. I think I really believe in Isaiah Stewart's defense and his versatility and how that will impact a team that's in the playoffs, which hopefully this team will be in the next couple of years. And so I think that's when it really starts to look like a good contract. One real quick thing, Amari. I went and looked. He would be... 100th to the 110th highest paid player in the NBA next season. And this is before guys get new contracts. He's probably going to be 120, 130, maybe even lower whenever this all kicks in next season with new contracts. So, you know, borderline starter, you know, rookie deals aren't involved in that. So I, I just, I think it's probably market value for a guy with a little bit of projection as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I tweeted it uh, after the... Uh, you know, after we reported all the terms of the contract, and I think for the most part, like generally, Pistons fans like kind of understood, like yeah, fifteen mil is the going rate for a player with that skill set. But it really is just above average rotation player salary at this point. Which I mean, obviously, you just look at how much the cap has expanded over the last decade or even five years, and uh, it's really increased a lot in that span. But if you're paying 15 a year for somebody who could start or be one of your lead bench players, uh, obviously versatile defender, he's probably the best all-around defender on the team right now. And then you couple that with the jumper, which, you know, of course the Pistons feel pretty strongly about. And I think you and I both feel pretty good about him becoming a plus shooter. Uh, given that he's done it in, in spurts, is just the consistency aspect. But uh, that's really, I think it's a really good contract for him. I do think there's a, strong chance that it will be a bit of an underpay by the end of it. And I think the team option as well, as we able to bring them back under that that term, uh, really kind of sweetens the pot a little bit. But if he plays up to the course of that deal, I mean, I think very easily we could see him just re-up, you know, for another extension once he gets to that team option point anyway. So uh, obviously that's, you know, three years down the line. We have to get into that now. But overall, I thought that that was a pretty fair contract for what he can bring. And of course, just also him being the first rookie to sign an extension under Troy Weaver, I think speaks to uh, his importance for the squad as well. Yeah, and the other thing is, I think the only one of these rookies that could be on their extension is Cade. I think the final guaranteed year of Stewart's contract would be the first year of Cade's extension. So what I'm always looking at is cap flexibility. Does this lock... This was my thing with the Marvin Bagley, the third contract, Amari. Could that end up looking like an awful contract? Sure, maybe, maybe it does. Maybe it was a complete ridiculous overpay, but has it hurt the team in any way? I don't see that it has. And I don't think this Isaiah Stewart contract... Here's what's really interesting as well. 
I listen to the front office show. I listen to athletic general NBA shows. None of those guys complained about this. I haven't listened to any. And we've had Keith Smith. Keith Smith, we call a friend of the podcast, right? He said we could. Keith Smith, let us know that we could. I listened to him talk about it. And he was kind of like, eh. And he's not even a huge Isaiah Stewart fan. When we talked to him, I think it, it surprised me a little bit. He was a little bit down on V-Stu. Yeah, he was. If you remember, so... Even he was like, yeah, this is fine. I, I don't think it's a great contract, but I think Keith Smith would, you know, he's not going to pull back any punches. He's going to say it how he feels it. And on that podcast, he was like, yeah, this is kind of whatever. A few other names that are getting paid similarly to Isaiah Stewart, Max Struess, KCP, Mitch Robb, Tyus Jones, Luke Kennard, Nas Reed, Dorian Finney-Smith. Some of those guys are probably definitely better than Isaiah Stewart, have proven it in playoffs and those type of things. Some other guys, I don't know. So like, I feel like it's in the right range of the type of player, at least me and you believe Isaiah Stewart can be, even if he hasn't fully shown that yet. Like again, you just look at like that range of salary, right? I think along with that, because he was sentenced to restricted free agency in the year, uh, you probably bump up the value of that contract a little bit just to not entice him to test the market in a year when the cap's even higher. And if he's coming off the season where he shot the bar really well, he probably goes up to like $20 million in the open market, right? So you got to pay enough to where it's still reasonable for the team, but also that the player knows that they're being taken care of and they don't have that uh, maybe urge to get more out on the open market. I mean... Um, Trey Weaver is a really, really big Isaiah Stewart fan. I mean, he's caught him the heart and soul of the team. Uh, he even went as far as to say uh, during exit interviews in April that uh, losing Isaiah Stewart toward the end of the year, or uh, really the few games for that shoulder injury as well, was almost as bad as, or was as bad as losing Kay Cunningham uh, just because of his competitive spirit. So, I mean, I've said this before, like I'll say it again. I really do feel that when the Pistons do get to the point where they're competing in the playoffs, Isaiah Stewart's just going to become irreplaceable because you can't, you won't be able to play him off of the floor, right? I mean, he's going to be able to rebound at the five, defend at the five, uh, switch everything else. And you just really need, I think, a good small ball center in today's NBA. Uh, like you may say you need size to match up against the MBs and the Jokic's and whatnot, but you know, Miami didn't have a lot of size up front. You know, they have they have Bam and they were fine, right? And a lot of times those bigger centers get played off of the floor anyway because they just, you know, like they're just being asked to do too much. They get played off of the floor. So I don't think Isaiah Stewart's going to have those same issues. And I really do think that this contract has a chance to be a steal for the Pistons down the road. Well, that's what makes him valuable to me is he can play the four or the five or he projects like that's the vision you see, right? Is, okay, you want to play him at the four? Great. Obviously, the shooting has to still improve. Hopefully, he gets it over 35% this year. I mean, you guys have to remember last year, he jumped his three-point attempts per game by four times. So to expect him to jump four times the attempts and get the percentage you want to see, I think was a little bit unfair, especially for the entire year. We saw it for a certain stretch and then he got hurt. So this year you see the same amount of attempts hopefully you see that percentage up people will start respecting it and then you know he can really play the four and then also he can play the five in a small ball lineup just like you said which we know versatility from seven or eight guys is the name of the game whenever you really want to win in the playoffs I want to ask you this Amari how much do you think that locker room presence just kind of what he brings even off the floor played into the money he got because 
not only do I think it played into it, I think it should. I think that stuff is important. I may overblow this. I know some people won't agree, but I think having guys like Isaiah Stewart, who I call the soul of the team, I truly believe that about him, even though I think Kate is the face. I think that matters. And if that got him an extra million or two per year on this deal, I don't think we can really quantify what that means, but I, I would understand. No, absolutely. Uh, like he really is the heart and soul of this team. Uh, you know, just stuff behind the scenes that people don't even see. Like, you know, he really has become like almost like a big brother, I think, to some of these guys. And, you know, I think it also just speaks to the fact that uh, of all the rookie extensions signed this offseason, which hasn't been that many. I think it's just Tyrese uh, LaMelo and, uh, Desmond Bain. Uh, I may be missing somebody, but those were all like pretty close to max deals. And then, if not max, I know Tyrese and Lamelo were max deals. I think Desmond Bain might have been close, but uh, the fact that Isaiah Stewart was really uh, the first rookie this offseason to sign a rookie extension that wasn't anywhere close to the max just shows how much of a priority he was to the Pistons. Uh, you like to understand what he brings, like on the floor and off of it, and. That's important, right? Like you talk about just culture guys around the league. I really do think Isaiah Stewart is a culture guy for this team. And you don't see it as much now just because they're coming off of a 17-win season. But as they become more and more competitive, I think his spirit is really going to uh, show more and more. And even just going back to the on-court versatility, we talk so much about Isaiah Stewart playing the four, but there will be matchups where he's better at the five. And, uh, you know, maybe he's not, you know, like whether he becomes a full-time four or not, I just think having somebody who could still play the five as well. That's a little bit of value to that contract too. So uh, yeah, I mean, is he going to be the full-time for this team needs? We have a question from Rashad M here or a comment from Rashad M. We definitely need a real PF. Uh, Stewart is a first off the bench six man that can play PF or C in different lineups. That could absolutely be the case. You know, like we have to see, uh, you know, if that's going to be the case with him, you're not going to have everything you need from any power forward, right? Unless it's like a Draymond type. Uh, but if he can just defend, uh, shoot threes, uh, you can put them at the four or five and feel pretty good. And that's where the value comes from, really, is that versatility. Well, and so I went and did a bunch of stats. And I'm not going to read all of them off, Amari. But I compared him against Nas Reed because he came in around the same contract-wise. And then P.J. Washington, who I think a lot of Pistons fans are very interested in acquiring P.J. Washington. And I can understand it. And it's because they feel like he can space the floor, right? So P.J. Washington, per 36 minutes, took six and a half threes a game and made it at 35% this past year. Isaiah Stewart took 5.2, so a little over one less per 36, and shot it at 33%. I realize he has to improve, but I don't think the jump is as much as what people think. I have people come at me all the time. Look, they weren't guarding him last year. They weren't. Well, he was just starting to do it last year. But if people respect PJ Washington at 35% on six and a half attempts per 36, is that reasonable that Stu could shoot it at 35% this year on six and a half attempts? I think it is reasonable. I'm not guaranteeing it happens. I just think it is reasonable. So I also want, do you think this contract guarantees he starts? Kind of going back to Rashad's comment there, because I don't think it means he has to. I think that if Asar plays incredible and Boyan's still on the roster, they could start there and Stu could just be that versatile guy off the bench. I think they could start Stu because you still have some of these bigs uh, on the roster like Wiseman and Bagley. Do you think that this contract it just says hey this is our guy at the four and we're gonna rock with it i think it speaks to the confidence that they have in them right uh you know like i would assume isaiah stewart starts next season obviously they have some training camp battles to play out and there could still be another trade as well that may get like another four onto the roster because i still think boyan's probably more of a three even though he can play the four but regardless i think he's a starting four next season you know i think it speaks to 
uh, not only Trey, but you know, you have Monty on board, and he's part of the decision making process. And we could see see his rotations in Phoenix. And uh, Beef Stew really does seem like a Monty guy, uh, just being somebody who can defend, but also space the floor because uh, Monty had a tendency to prioritize floor spacing. So, uh, yeah, I just think it makes sense that I would be surprised if we didn't see Isaiah Stewart start next season again, barring some sort of trade that shakes the rotation up. Amari, we're going to take a short break right here. Whenever we come back, I want to talk a little bit about what this this contract means in general and kind of how I feel like it's a Troy Weaver classic, kind of what he's done with free agency and trades. I want to dive into that just a little bit. And then guys, we're going to get into summer league, Marcus Sasser, Asar Thompson, some of these other guys, what that means for the season. We'll dive into all of that once we get back from this short break. All right, we are back with segment two, and I'm going to give the floor back to Bryce here. Isaiah Stewart, obviously we've seen uh, how Troy Weaver tends to operate with that, but you call this Isaiah Stewart contract a Troy Weaver classic. I'm curious to see what you mean by that. Yeah, so what I feel like in some of the debates I've had is Troy Weaver with free agency, trades, even these extensions, every one of them has kind of just been like, eh. To me, it's kind of been what it hasn't been a swing for the fence. It hasn't been a big move. It's been okay. Some people critiqued it. Some people loved it. But at the end of the day, it was kind of middle of the road. Did, again, did the Marvin Bagley the third contract hurt anybody? No. Does this contract, I mean, could it look bad? Sure. But I don't think that that's going to be the case. You know, I think maybe the biggest one was when they signed Jeremy Grant. Some people thought it was an overpay, but still it was three years, 60 million on a team that was about to go full tank mode. To me, where he's really built this team is strictly through the draft, right? He missed on Killian Hayes. Nobody wants to give him credit for Cade Cunningham. Fine, whatever. Jay Nivey made the move for Jalen Duran. And then maybe the biggest one so far is Asar Thompson, who we'll talk about in a second. Because I think this pick at five with Asar was the most up in the air pick we've seen in his tenure. I wasn't here whenever he picked Killian Hayes. I, I kind of signed on with this after that draft. But I think where that's where he's kind of made his big moves is NBA draft stuff with selections. I think free agency, all of those things, he's kind of just been, this is a move, but we're just kind of recycling players and none of it really hurts us long-term. I think Troy has been very value-minded and a lot of the moves he's made where it may seem like a slight overpay at first, but then things kind of counter out down the line just because of the cap going up. Now you look at it and it's like, you know, that deal was actually fine, right? Uh, like Jeremy Grant, you know, the contract was fine. Uh, Pistons were able to relay it into assets in the end. Um, I would say this Isaiah Stewart contract fits that exact boat where it's like, okay, maybe, you know, it's two or three million higher than never team would have went. But then you get a couple years down the road and cap goes up and now you have a contract right in that mid-range that you could trade it if you want to. I'm not saying that's the plan for Isaiah Stewart, but... Um, overall, I think he's been very flexibility minded, like, you know, taking the long road with this building through the draft or so the free agency thus far. Uh, you even look at Monty Morris and like Joe Harris, right? Like still keeping that flexibility in mind. Uh, so getting the team option on that Isaiah Stewart contract is definitely a uh, to be a flexibility minded move where you're still prioritizing the team, having some of that flexibility moving forward. Uh, I mean, and that's, you know, like, that's like from Tom Gore's on down too, right? I mean, they sacrificed assets for Blake Griffin. And I think, you know, I guess it's been five, six years after that deal. 
you see how devastating that could be when you go all in and it's just not quite the right time. So they've been playing this, though. They've been going through the draft. And yeah, Isaiah, I would say absolutely fits the same boat of kind of what we've seen from their uh, signings. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up like Monty Morris, Alec Burks, all these guys. They're not really needle movers. I think now you've acquired a quite a few of them. It's like, man, you can really shoot the ball now with those guys. And gosh, who am I forgetting? Uh, Monty Morris, Alec Burks, boy, oh, Joe Harris. And so, yeah. you know, none of those move the needle, but they all keep cap flexibility. They're all expiring contracts. They're veterans to the roster, but nobody just gets, you know, super excited about those. And I guess I feel like Weaver got an immediate reputation as this, you know, wild, wild west, just guns a blazing. Well, empty the clip, isn't that? Wasn't that from his first offseason? I, you know, I got more in the clip, or I'm going to, you know, whatever it is. And at the end of the day, he hasn't really done that with free agency and trades. He's done it a little bit more with the NBA drafts. And so I guess that's what I mean is this Stewart contract is just another. And this offseason in general, outside of the draft, Amari, outside of the draft, this was another non needle moving cap flexibility in the future off season of moves. Now in the draft, he went upside with the star Thompson at five and he traded up six spots to draft Marcus Sasser at 25. I mean, some people didn't like that. He traded two second round picks to draft a six foot one guard. And so I just, I feel like that's where he's really gone all in on moves is in the NBA draft, not in free agency and with trades. Yeah, the next year, I think, will be really interesting because yes. you have four veterans with expiring deals. You mentioned them, Boyan, Burks, uh, Joe Harris, and then uh, Monty Morris. You know, that's four good veterans on expiring deals. So do you take that? Do you just take the cap space for next summer when uh, you probably got to pay Cade? Or do you flip those at the deadline and try to get a piece in who can help you make like a post-trade deadline push for the playoffs and uh, kind of put the team more on a direct path toward contention? Uh, there's really a lot of directions they can go. And, you know, especially with Killian Hayes and James Wiseman being extension eligible a year away from restricted free agency, potentially. Uh, there's a lot of pivotal decisions that I think are coming up that will really shape the outcome of this rebuild, right? So, you know, I know we've talked kind of forever about, well, when are they going to make the leap here and there? Uh, the decisions they have to make in this upcoming year, I think, are really going to set the tone for them competing. So they're kind of nearing the end of them being able to prioritize flexibility to the extent that they have. No, I think that's a really good point. This The time is coming, right? Eventually, you have to use the cap space or you're going to use it on rookies and then you want to use it before you sign those extensions because then it's bird rights. Mm -hmm. You can go over the cap with them, et cetera, et cetera. And I think he's played it right though. You want to get as much data on these guys as you can before you make those decisions. You want to know exactly who Kate is going to be, who Jaden is going to be, who Asar is going to be, or as much as possible before you start doing those things. I wanted to bring this up. DJ, this is a really good point. He says, Motor City Hoops, PJ gets respect. PJ Washington on threes as a shooter because he's shown it for four years that he can hit them. Last year, he shot 35%. First four years in the league, 37, 39, 37. That's a really good point there, DJ. And so to that though, for Stu, it may not be that he's not a shooter. It's just that he hasn't proven it. And as you point out there, it just may take a couple years of him showcasing that. It may not even happen this year where he really gets respected, but he shoots 35, 36 this year. And then maybe he goes on a stretch where he knocks it down at over 40% for a little while. It is going to take some time, even if he's shooting it better this season. So that was a really good point, DJ, that no matter what, Stu's going to have to show it for some longer sample than even just this year. And if he could settle in around 36%, I think that would be great. Um, you know, I just think you want defenses to respect them because now you're drawing the center out the pain. And 
uh, it just kind of has a, a trickle down effect that helps everybody. Like it would become like forty percent. I mean, that would be outstanding, right? But I could definitely see him getting up to like thirty six, maybe thirty seven percent. And to me, that's just absolutely perfect for the role that he's playing. All right, we got a shout out from Will J. Says love the show, guys. Appreciate you, Will J. Again, all of you guys that that tune in, listen, watch. We appreciate you guys so much. Let's talk. What? Yeah. What's oh what's yeah, yeah. No, I'm, we got to give a shout out to I'm mom and dad. Yeah, it's a quick shout out to mom and dad. I guess my mom is watching now. I don't know what my dad is up to, but he loves the city. Uh, again, we actually, I'd have the link to the store here, and I'm just going to drop this in the chat for you all. So, yeah, buy some merch, guys. Buy some merch. And we're going to get to Summer League now. This is, I know a lot of you have been waiting for the Asar Marcus Sasser talk. Uh, let's talk about Marcus Sasser actually to lead off because he's coming off of that 40 point game. Uh, that was. I was getting some people in my mentions who were like, yeah, well, Sasser's not hitting shots. They're making predictions about the rotation and depth chart off of his first four games, and he comes out and scores 40, which the lesson is, of course, don't read too far in the summer league. But he did score 40 every night. Uh, Bryce, what, is, what did you see from, from Sasser in that game? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all summer league. But, man, we got to break it down. What else are we going to do? We don't have any games for a while. We're going to do the same thing no. with the SAR. I thought it was really good for Marcus because he hadn't shot the ball well. And at the end of the day, here, here's something that's true or I believe to be true about Marcus. I think he's going to be a very good point of the attack defender, right? He's six foot one, but I think he can really guard at the point of the attack on the perimeter, but he doesn't offer a ton of versatility. You're going to have to play drop coverage with him. There's some limitations. Because of that, I do really think he has to shoot the ball and provide floor spacing offensively. I think it's vital for him to be able to do that. And so why I was happy was he hadn't shot it well, right? We know this leading up to that game. So it was just nice for him and some of the naysayers that had started to groan in the fan base already for him to showcase like, hey, I can get high, I can really shoot it and just, you know, put the ball in the basket. And you know what impressed me, Omari? I know he can shoot the ball. I saw him do it for four years at Houston. Was kind of his wiggle, man. Like he had some change of direction and some start stop and a step back. He put some dudes on skates that was really impressive. No, absolutely. I talked to uh, his coaches and some of his teammates on Houston for a story there in a couple of weeks ago. And everybody mentioned, like, people talk about the shooting and the defense, but he's got a handle. Like they said, his 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 handle is really slick and he really improved it over his four years. And I think we saw that really uh, during that 40-point performance on Sunday is that this dude had the ball on the string. I mean, his quickness, I mean, just the way he was able to break down the fitters and get to the rim. Uh, like, again, it's summer league, right? So, you know, he, it may not come that easy during a regular season, but uh, we know he can shoot. We know he could defend. I think just how tight he had the ball uh, on that string and, I mean, just the quickness he had getting to the rim. That was really, really good to see because he was not the most efficient scorer at the rim when he was in college. That was actually probably one of his biggest weaknesses was his finishing at the rim, and he did the bulk of his scoring uh, really, you know, from three or just from from mid-range with that floater. But he did a little bit of everything on Sunday. We saw him hit some of those floaters from mid-range. He had some pull-up threes, uh, just really showed off his full offensive bag. But even before that game, I thought his defense was pretty solid all throughout summer league, and that's kind of what stood out to be uh, even when he was just struggling to hit shots. I mean, I think he was, I forget the exact number. He was like four for 25, I think, from three going into Sunday. So like really, really struggling. But just the way he navigates screens and really gets into guys, uh, not a perfect defensive showing, but I really did think his defense really popped in those four games before that outbreak too, which is a big reason why the Pistons drafted him. All right, guys, I, lots of really good questions. I'm starring them as we go through and we'll come back to these in segment three and we'll answer those. So I don't want you guys to think we're ignoring you. There's some funny ones, some fu- if you, whatever you got. We'll get into yeah. that in segment three. So keep dropping those in. We'll get to as many as 
as we can. But yeah, Sasser at the rim. Listen to this, Amari. At the rim overall in Summer League, all five games, 14 of 16 at the rim, 88%. That, that's really good. In the half court, he was 10 of 11 at the rim. And we know he's not getting just wide open dunks. So that that was really telling to me. I thought he passed the ball really well. He had a really good assist to turnover ratio. Another thing that came from college, that's big time. We just had it up here on the screen from CJ Rose. He was getting open looks. He just wasn't knocking them down. But he actually took 19 threes off the dribble. He was six of 19. So while struggling from three, he went six of 19, 32%. He makes a couple more of those. You're talking about a really good percentage off the bounce from three. And then he was just three of 15 on catch and shoot threes. Now, here's the thing. If you're telling me a career 40%, I think he was a little under 40% at Houston. Three-point shooter is going to regress to 20% in the NBA. Then, yeah, it was a bad pick. It was a wasted pick. And we're all going to call it a flop. I just don't believe that's who Marcus Sasser is. I think he's going to knock down those catch and shoot threes. It was some of that other stuff that really impressed. Some of the passing. He operated in ball screens, Amari, 43% of the time. This was all according to Synergy and scored it at 45% from the field on those. So I just was kind of impressed. Like maybe there's a little bit more on-ball creation, run the second unit at times, maybe a true third point guard. uh, There was more of that than I anticipated. I think offensively, he's got pretty much everything you want. Uh, Like again, like shots weren't falling, but he was creating open looks. And we have four years of evidence at Houston suggesting that he's a really good shooter. So a few bad summer league games really isn't enough to kind of shake you from that confidence, right? Like, this guy could absolutely create shots. But I agree, it was everything else. He really did take care of the ball. Zero turnovers on Sunday while scoring 40 points. He had the entire defensive attention. Didn't cough the ball up once. Five assists. He had some really slick passes out of pick and rows. Uh, just really, really good as far as that. Like, you mentioned his finishing at the rim, which was really good. I'm going to throw out a comparison, and Uh-oh. I'm not going to say Uh-oh. that he's going to be this exact player, but I think offensively, Sort of like some of the stuff he could do kind of reminds you of Lou Will. And he was a guy who could really heat up uh, in college as well. So he's going to be a guy that could just really heat up and probably swing a couple of games for you. You combine that with the defense. And I mean, I really think he's going to put pressure on that backcourt rotation. I think he's going to have some nights where it's going to be really, really hard to bench him. And now you're looking at, okay, well, maybe you're running the three guard lineup with Ivy at the two and Kate at the three but just because you got to write the high hand with Sasser. I think we're going to have some. It's like some of those nights with him, if not as a rookie, definitely by a sophomore year. And uh, Sunday just, I did. I, I mean, that's really why they drafted him, right? You talk about the defense and whatnot, but it's just the overall shot making. Uh, you look at some of the four-year guards that have come into the league over the last few years and have kind of found their stride immediately. Like I really do think Sasser has a chance to be that for Detroit. Well, and I think Sasser's a really good guard to play off of Cade Cunningham. You can play him with Cade because Cade can handle the ball, mm-hmm. but then Marcus can take the smaller matchup on the perimeter and Cade can guard up. I think what will be really fun, maybe not this year, but maybe this year and definitely long-term, I think you could play Marcus and a star together in the backcourt, like in a second unit, because there's just enough ball handling between the two of them. And then that duo is a nightmare defensively guarding people. I mean, I see a star more as a three, but I can see lineups where a star kind of plays the jumbo point guard role, kind of like Cade Cunningham, where he's your point guard, Sasser's your quote unquote two offensively, but guards the smaller guy offensively and then fill out the rest of the the rotation there. So I'm with you. And you got to remember, Sasser's going to be playing against second units all year long. I don't see him. If he's starting games this year, it's either really, really good because he was so awesome or something. Everybody got hurt. Or something has gone terribly wrong. And the fan base is going to be really, really upset with another 17 win season. But if he's just playing against second units, 
obviously that's a step up from what we saw him playing against on Sunday, right? I mean, none of those guys in those summer league games outside of one or two people on each team, but you know, you're not playing against the best players on the other team when you're doing that. So you're right. There's a chance he could really heat up, come in, get some buckets, cause some disruption. I still think he's going to be a real solid player for this team moving forward. No doubt. We'll get to a sorry in a minute, but I think with both of those guys, it just adds a lot of versatility to your backcourt where you have two guys who are really hard-nosed defensively, both just the way they navigate screens. I mean, like Asar, just some of the stuff he did was just like, this guy's just got it right. Uh, but they could both play off ball. They could both make plays with the ball in their hands. Uh, we saw how Asar thrived in transition. You have uh, Sasher with the, the shot making. I'm really excited to see what Monty Williams does with that backcourt because you still yes. have Monte Morris and Alec Burks and Killian Hayes as well. And you just have a lot of, I think, versatility. Like all these guys can really pass the ball. There's just a lot of, a lot of versatility in that group. So like Sasser and Asar are coming into a situation where they can just be played to their strengths. And I think that's going to be really good for them and that they really will not have to be asked to do too much. They can really lock in on defense for Sasser. You focus on hitting open shots for uh, Asar. That's like cutting, right? Pushing the fast break and they won't have to do too much. And I think that's going to really help them as rookies to not be thrown into the fire uh, as they're, previous three lottery picks were. All right, let's talk about Asar. We talked a lot about Asar last week. He had already played two games. He played two more, obviously. Got to handle the ball a little bit more, do his thing. I I still think he was awesome. I think he did a lot of the things you want to see from Asar. I think what's really impressive, Amari, is you see a lot of rookies come in and in summer league, they probably just want to score the ball, right? They want to go average 20 a game. Asar was cool averaging 13 and a half. I have some questions around the scoring because where he struggled to score in summer league, we're the same places he struggled to score at OTE. So I do think if we're going to praise him, rightfully so, and I've done it and he deserves it, but I think it's fair to bring up some of the other context as well. So we don't have to start there, but I am going to bring up some of the numbers in just a second. I tweeted them out earlier today, but what did you see from Asar that you really liked as we saw him play for four total games? His feel, and that's such like yes. a, a, a stereotype, or not like a stereotype, but just like a cliche thing to say, right? Like a high field player. But that's just the best way I could describe it. It's just his feel. The just, problem is it's overused with other guys. So then when it fits someone like Asar, it seems like it's still being overused, but it's so true with him. No, it's just, he is just the quintessential. Like you look up field in the dictionary and you see him, just the stuff he, just how active his hands are. Uh, just he probably blocked four or five jumpers like <laughs> over the stretch of the four games he played. Uh, I mean, the the blocks, I know he led the Pistons in blocks. I'm not sure where he ranked uh, overall in summer league, but he's blocking about two shots a game as a six foot six guard. Just extremely active hands. The deflections he got, uh, you look at the uh, cutting. I mean, he's attacking gaps. He's finishing at the rim. He's a lob target because of just his verticality, put back threat. I mean, you Saw some of the Hami row where you could put him in a dunker spot. And he could just do stuff. He had that uh, put back dunk, I think, last Friday. Just like one-handed, like cocked it back. Uh, just right on the dude's back. Like it was just like you don't see stuff like that too often. And then the passing too. Uh, I thought some of the passes were a little misplaced. And people say if it was Durant or some other guys he's passing to, maybe it would be a uh, bucket. But like he he really has point guard vision, right? Now, does he have a point guard handle this and that or something? So he has to tighten up. But he really does see the floor. And he could just be an open floor monster. I mean, just you give him the ball, some of the home run passes he had. I know he found Rodan in the, in the corner during game one. Uh, he does everything except shoot pretty much at an above average level, if not a high level. So 
just every single every single quarter he did something that was just like look at this dude like he's just he just plays the game the right way and I would say more than anything it really impressed me that he came in when it was not like I'm the fifth pick I got to get my own he fell into the hierarchy behind Duran behind Ivy filled in the gaps and he took more of a scoring role uh once those guys sat out so i mean he just checked so many boxes you wanted to see from him that i I mean i think everybody came away really impressed he's the ultimate connector and here's what i want to say is we talk all the time when we're evaluating draft picks that there's so much intel we don't know right everything i heard about amen and asar thompson was how great a kids they were how they would fall into any role you wanted them to they would do the little things but you don't really know that stuff we don't actually get to interview him amari so we're just going off what people told us i could say the same thing about cam whitmore i don't think i was wrong i don't think we were wrong on our evaluation of cam whitmore as a player i mean he just won summer league mvp i know that doesn't mean everything but he's playing pretty well so far but but omari the medicals say he may only play five years because his knee is so bad. And so there's just that information behind the scenes that maybe we hear a little bit of, but we don't actually know. My point is, we heard this a little bit about Asar. Now we're seeing it play out in Summer League. And it's just incredible that he's an amazing young man, a hard worker, willing to fill these roles. And I love it. Uh, defensively, he was disruptive. I think he at least led the Summer League in stocks. I know we have people, James Willis said that he led the Summer League in just actual blocks. But I think blocks and steals together, even only playing four games. So he was incredible. I do think that there's some, if you really want to get into it, and this is all rookies, guys, there's going to be some mistakes made on that end of the court. What I think Asar does for you year one, Omari, is you can at least give him the Jason Tatum matchup. He's not going to hold him to 18 points in his rookie year, but he can take that matchup, hold up, so that way Cade and Ivy can go do things offensively. That's what I see from him on the defensive end, and the real value is he can take a ton of matchups like that, and even if he's not perfect, it at least gives more energy to those other guys to go do their thing offensively. And that's, I think, just as a player who could take pressure off a two-lead ball handler, he's perfect for that role. He's going to handle your secondary ball handling. But, I mean, six six seven foot wingspan, and just with his alertness and his instincts on defense, you probably feel pretty good about him taking those lead matchups. I mean, I'll say day one, just throw him into the fire as far as that, right? Like, just see how he handles himself against the Tatums or the Paul Georges or the other kind of big wings in the NBA. Uh, I mean, again, it's summer league. You don't want to overhype it too much, but just what we saw from him in those four games, like I'm, I'm convinced he could be a productive defender from day one. So QT says, Boyan could take that matchup and give up 40. Now, I'm not going to crush Boyan, but yes, that's kind of my point is, and then now Boyan doesn't have to do that, Omari, and he can just go no. knock down a bunch of threes, which is, I think what it lets everybody do, Omari, it lets them feel into their role a little bit better. And that's something we haven't seen from these guys. Jay Nivey last year, not really the role you wanted him to have to play because Cade wasn't there. Cade is rookie year, didn't have these other... So now everybody kind of slides into their actual role and gets to play it a little bit. And a lot of that could have to do with the SAR. I will say, like, let me critique just a little bit. He was 80% from the field in transition, which was almost a quarter of his play types. When he was the pick and roll handler, only 33%. On spot ups, 27%. He was one of eight on catch and shoot threes. He was two of three on dribble threes. And then at the rim, this is probably my biggest worry because it was something that showed up in OTE, Amari. It's just a four-game sample. But in the half court, 
He was just four of nine overall at the rim and three of eight at layups. Now he gets out in transition. He's going to dunk on you. That takes out transition and putbacks. I still would like to see improvement in him getting to the rim in the half court and finishing when it's not a dunk. It doesn't have to be a year one thing, but that along with the three-point shooting, I think is what I want to see improve over the next 18 to 24 months with the SAR Thompson. Absolutely. And that was the kind of knock on him coming out of OTE was just the shooting. Uh, he was like 67% at the line, 30% from three. And he did hit some threes. We saw some movement jumpers he hit from mid-range. But as a whole, when plays broke down, he didn't have that same level of creation that he had in the open floor. And that's just going to be an ongoing work in progress for him. Uh, you know, I think his handle you know, probably has a way to go for him to really be that type of on-ball creator, uh, he got ripped up a couple of times. Uh, he uses his feet extremely well, so that's one thing I was encouraged by is that just as far as using his feet to blow past guys, he was pretty good with that. But the handle could be tightened up a little bit. And then just like the overall decisiveness, right? Like he's a guy, you get him going in, in, in space, you have to account for pretty much every outcome. Uh, the half-court offense is going to have to come, and I think once we get into the season, he's playing off of Cade and Ivy and guys who really have that type of gravity. Uh, that should make his life a lot easier as far as him just cutting and attacking those gaps. To be clear, I'm fine if all he is, quote-unquote, is a cutter, short roll, yeah. finisher, lob catch, offensive boards, transition. I'm cool with it. I'm not saying this. I'm just saying long-term, some of this stuff does need to develop, and I don't want Pistons fans to get upset because I don't think he's going to go average 18 points a game as a rookie. He may only average 13 and a half like what he did in summer league Omari but that's going to be okay if he grabs eight rebounds and gets a couple assists and takes the primary defensive matchup I just I guess my big thing is I want us to remember how excited we were about this role when he's doing this same role in the season because it is important and I just think it's going to be a role that's really good next to, to Cade and Ivy we got to go to a short break here we got a bunch of questions comments we'll continue with some Asar when we come back because that is the first question first couple questions maybe more than that but we'll get to all of those when we get back from this short break All right, we are back with Asar, and we're going to lead off with this question from uh, Cody Tosova. Uh, I'm actually going to scroll up. Cody had a funny comment earlier. He was talking about his Cody. The long time li- Cody, I think, tunes into yeah. every one of these lives. Cody also does. If you're on Twitter, Cody does a lot of Twitter Spaces, Pistons Twitter Spaces. So you guys should definitely follow him on Twitter and then get in on those. I don't have his Twitter handle off the top of my head. If you put it in the comments, I'll put it up on the screen, Cody. But appreciate the support as always. He's my guy. He said his boy caught Marcus Sasser, uh, the air fryer during the game because he's a modern day microwave. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if air fryer will take off. I'm going to credit Cody's friend for that on the pot now in case that takes off like beeps do. Uh, but the question from Cody was, how much do you think Asar moved in needed with the coaching staff with Summer League? I feel like he was even more impressive than anyone could have imagined. He passed his first test, right? He passed his first test, uh, I would say, for what they expected from him uh, with flying colors, uh, just for him to lock in the way he did defensively, uh, for him to just know his strengths on offense, right? Like, I'm going to push the ball. I'm going to uh, you know, be a put-back guy, attack the boards, offensive rebounding, uh, all that stuff. I mean, he really truly embraced that role uh, with no complaints and really thrived in that role. So I would say he won a lot of points with the coaching staff. I mean, we're going to have this ongoing debate, ongoing debate as far as who starts, who comes off of the bench. I don't know if I'm quite there on the SAR starting day one yet, just because of the depth they have on that wing. But I think absolutely you look at that summer league and you say, we've got to get this kid some 
heavy minutes going into his rookie season because he checks so many boxes for us. Just has an overall connector uh, to use Bryce's word. Yeah, so Cody at NoFlyZone906, everything's spelled the way you would imagine. So follow him on Twitter and get in on those Pistons Twitter spaces. I think the word that comes to mind for me, Omari, is he probably built up a lot of trust with the coaching staff. You have to imagine they loved him doing these things in summer league like we've talked about. This from Cody, the thing that impressed me most about Asar was his willingness to accept his role. When Ivy Dern and Wiseman were on the floor, he took a back seat. When they weren't, he alpha-dogged. And so that's exactly right. He was willing to say, hey, these guys are second-year players. Wiseman's you know, fourth-year player. They're only going to play a couple games. I got to take a back seat, let them do their things. I'll just connect. And then when they weren't there, we did see him get a little more aggressive trying to score the ball. So I thought that was really good continuing some of the Asar conversation. This Asar guy might not be a complete Darko level bust after all. Like we are just four summer league games. I also want to say this. It doesn't necessarily hit this. I've seen some people act like Asar was completely disrespected during the NBA draft process, Omari. I just pushed back on that pretty strongly. I looked it up the other day on The Rookie Scale, another great resource, guys, if you're looking at NBA draft stuff. Asar was consensus number five on NBA draft boards whenever you compile all of the big names. So it's not like we're talking about a guy who was getting no love. We talked about him. I We were both a little bit lower. I was higher on a man. We were both super high on Cam Whitmore. For me, it was like a man or Cam are going to be there. So I don't need an archetype of player like Asar if I can get one of those two. So obviously we were a little off after seeing four summer league games. But I just, I think the level of disrespect people act like he was getting is a little bit more than what it truly was. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody saw the Twins as like top 10 picks. A lot of people had um, been at four. And I think a lot of what kind of clouded their evaluation was just the fact that they did play for OTE. And I mean, obviously, like the athleticism would translate. I think everybody thought that they would be NBA players. I think would really... I think if there's anything that OTE made it tough to parse through, and I mentioned this on last week's pod as well, is just how do these players fit into a hierarchy, right? If you are a player who struggles to score in half-court situations and you want the ball in those situations, and that's a problem, right? We have seen players, you know, with some scoring deficiencies who can do everything else, but they don't necessarily play to their strengths when they're on the floor. Now, we knew Asar could defend. We knew he could, you know, like move the ball and all that. But I think in OTE, where he and his brother are like the guys for that team and having to shoot a lot more to see Asar come into summer league and uh, just really fall in, into the mix, right? Like embrace his role, play to his strengths, not play to his weaknesses at all. I think that's what you have a tougher time getting a feel for uh, with that OTE system. And that's why maybe Asar's range was anywhere from like five to like 11, maybe. But I mean, in this draft, I mean, there's a lot of guys who could have went five or 11. Uh, so I don't, you know, I don't think he was really disrespected. I think there were a lot of valid questions as, as far as that and still got to get to the season. But, you know, it's kind of like what Troy said about Holly Berry, right? Like, you know, a good player is a good player. And uh, he certainly aced that first test. Yeah. So is Asar more fun to look at on a basketball court than Halle Berry in a grocery store? Super hard hitting and tough question to answer. <laughs> I, I will not answer this question just in case my wife listens to the entire podcast, which she almost never does. She listens to like the first five minutes and that's it. Right. I think what she actually does, Amari, she puts it on and mutes it and she lets the whole episode play just to make sure we get the download or whatever it is. But I will still def- not answer this question. Asar it still is, shows up in the metrics. It still shows up in the metrics. Thank uh, you, Bryce's wife. Thank you, Rainey. Yes. Asar is a lot of fun to watch basketball. That's how I will answer that question. Thank you, Cody. I appreciate that a lot. Also, I'm going to go with Holly Berry. I'm just sitting there <laughs> in the grocery store. I'm going to go with Holly Berry personally, but 
you know, I'll take one for the team since you can't. Bryce. I mean, what's funny is all the Twitter images, uh, like they use Halle Berry when they're talking about Asar. Like, I mean, Halle Berry pictures are showing up on my timeline all the time. About <laughs> Asar. I think there's one where she's walking out of a grocery store. And so that's the one that everybody's using. This one is funny. This was a Monty quote, right? About marry my daughters, Asar and Marcus. Didn't Monty say he wanted to take them home and they would be the type of guys to marry his daughter or something like that? He did say that. Yeah, he was on a broadcast on Sunday. And it was funny because, you know, he started off just like talking about how impressed he was by him. And then he was like, yeah, they're the type of guys that uh, I'll go home and arrange a marriage to my daughters. We have something along the lines of that. Uh, when, I, when I tweeted that, it, it, like it kind of went viral. Like some of the aggregation uh, accounts picked it up. Uh, it, like it was like I realized after I tweeted it, uh, like the tone of how he said it probably wouldn't translate to Twitter as well. And everybody was like, "What?" When you hear the audio, it was more like you know he's clearly just saying it in like gesture joking or whatnot. But I was surprised it blew up to that extent. I was like, he's clearly just joking around. Well, it hit with me because okay, so to get a little off track, that's kind of the ultimate compliment I would give one of my players is, or maybe to tell their parents like, "Hey." you know, I would let your son date my daughter. So as a father, that's kind of, that's a huge compliment, right? If you're saying, hey, this kid, this young man is the kind of young man that could date my daughter, then you're giving them the ultimate compliment. So I, I've actually made that reference with my players that I've coached before that were great young men. I'd be like, hey, I would, you know, you're, you're the kind of guy that I'd let date my daughter. So it made sense to me, but kind of the way it was phrased, I feel like people kind of took it out of context a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think it was like the arranged, the marriage yeah, yeah, yeah. part. That was like, why is he joking about like arranged marriage? which again like the way he said it, he said it like a chuckle so he was just it's one of those things you say it and nobody thinks about it but then you tweet it and see it i like remove from context the other part of that was that i guess there's like a running joke for like phoenix sun's twitter where he's made that reference for like cameron johnson and landry fields so i'm like i have to meet the tweet but like uh this morning i kind of like scrolled through it to see what people were saying and there's like all these beams about like landry fields is punching air right now and like <laughs> this and that like it was like really funny like i realized that part of the reason why I went viral is because Phoenix Suns people were like, he said it again. So I guess that's just like one of Monty's Monty-isms, which again, was like pretty funny. I was just been tweeting quotes out from the broadcast all weekend. And then that was the one that just, like, <laughs> that just blew up. So uh, you're welcome, Monty, uh, for putting that, that, that quote out for you. Uh, you know, probably, probably got taken out of context a little bit. Hey but. man, if you want to come on the Pistons Pulse and clear up the comment and drop some <laughs> other lines, you're welcome to come join us anytime. We keep it professional over here. Bill McQueen, Omari kind of sounds like James from The Athletic. I have not heard this one. I feel like I can tell the difference between you two. Have you ever got that? You guys, hold up. What was the picture you guys put out here this morning? Where was that from? Oh, yeah, the other day. I was, uh, yeah, so one of my friends at work uh, also became friends with James. And uh, like she just invited him to like a, a party she had on uh, Saturday. So we actually weren't in Vegas during that photo. That was like literally on Oh, Saturday. that was new? That was new? That was new, yeah. Oh, like, okay. That photo was taken on Saturday. And, you know, she had, like, the, the camera that pressed the photos out. Why am I forgetting the name? I'm, I'm 29. I should know what that camera's called because I was, like, my era. But, Polaroid? Uh, Polaroid. Yeah, she had, like, a, a Polaroid camera. I could not think of the name. Did I just uh, age myself accidentally by knowing the answer to that? No, I was trying to age myself by saying the answer. I just couldn't think of it. So, so. you let me do it. That's messed up. So I'll let you do it. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Well, you volunteered to do it, which is even better. You aced yourself voluntarily. Um, I'm too much so of a know-it-all. Like I want to prove what I know. So you just <laughs> you threw up the softball and I swung. You could have it. You could have it. You aced yourself. Thank you. So I, like, no, I, I get to stay young because I don't know what the Polaroid is. No, we just took a, we just took a couple photos there and it was like, like the photo came out. And it was like, oh, this, oh, this like a hard photo. Like, 
And then uh, and then James was like, I'm gonna put this on Twitter and be like, uh, what's like our R&B album called? And that's just how that went down. So that literally took place on Saturday. All right, from Ben, pending another trade, I think I'm done with off-season questions. Now it's a matter of seeing how the new players do and how much the returns have improved. Need October to get here. Ben, man, we got to talk about a little bit of the off-season stuff because we got two months of content. Hopefully you got, we're going to be bringing it every week. Amari and I have been talking about this for a while. I think we got some fun guests lined up. We may go even a little outside of the Pistons box to keep it entertaining this off-season. But but in general, he's right, Omari. At, At the end of the day, we've kind of talked about everything we can with moves and contracts and summer league. Now it really is talking about what's this team going to look like. Now what the Pistons and Troy Weaver will probably do is throw a wrench in it. I think it was last offseason we did our preview episode and then later that week they traded for Boyan and screwed it all up. So you just never know. But we are kind of to the point where it's almost, okay, now let's truly look ahead to what this team is going to look like. Come see. They have one roster spot and one two-way spot, I believe, that are still open barring any other like major moves. And that's the thing, right? Like it's always, you're kind of like, like that holding pattern now where it's like, okay, was the roster set? We could just kind of lock it in or do they make another trade? And then we have to start fresh here in a few weeks. Uh, I wish we could get Sean Windsor on for this episode. We're going to try to get him on next week or the week after. Uh, he picked up in Vegas after I uh, went home last Wednesday. And it's like, I think it's been like 115 or higher in Vegas for like multiple days in a row. And uh, his flight got canceled uh, just because of some tarmac issues. So I think he's in the air now while we're recording. So safe travel, Sean, and we'll try to get you on uh, next week to recap the offseason as a whole and then talk a little bit more summer league and just kind of spin this off for it. If you guys have any questions, get them in now. We got two in the queue and then we're going to shut it down here as we're closing in on an hour. This is from Just Football Academy. I think this is from my guy, Rocky, overseas. What are your thoughts on Asar missing both first and second team for Summer League? I'm not the guy to ask this, Omari, because I just don't care about this stuff. I kind of have the same opinion whenever it was Cade Cunningham, Rookie of the Year, and Jay Nivey, first team all-rookie. Those teams were crazy to me. I, I did see our guy Adam Spinella tweet out he couldn't believe that Asar didn't make it. I think it was over maybe Amani Bay. I've barely looked at that stuff. And so um, I, I don't, I'm not surprised, I guess, but I just don't think it means a whole lot. Should he have got it? Probably. He played four games and he played really well, but it is what it is. Somebody asked me last week. Uh, what do the Pistons need to do to make to the, like, are, are they still in the playoff hunt for Summer League? And what do they need to do to make it in? And I was like, I have no idea how no <laughs> what the Summer League playoff uh, qualifications are or anything else. I know, the, I know the Pistons were 2 1 at the time. I knew if they won that game, that they would have been 3 1. And I knew that 3 1 is probably in the proximity of making the playoffs, but I, I didn't know anything else. Like, the way you guys follow Summer League, is insane. Like I'll just put that right now. If you're, I'm, I'm, I'm there to watch the Pistons and individual players and whatnot when it comes to the summer league teams and all that. In the grand scheme, it's really not that big a deal. But I would say a lot of a lot of players ball out during summer league too. So I don't know if he got snubbed or not. But you probably have like 18 guys who average like 25 on pretty high efficiency. So it's a pretty crowded field. It was funny because I feel like on the broadcast when the game started, they needed to win by 21. And then later on, they put up a graphic that said 27. And I'm like, well, neither was going to happen. But I was like, which one is it? And then it was funny when the game ended, some people tweeted out essentially the end of Summer League when there was still another game going on Sunday. And so it just, nobody knew what was going on. It was just complete madness. Uh, Quick question here. Do you think Sasser will end up in the G League? Lots of Pistons Twitter saying for sure. I 100% disagree. I, 
I'm not doing this because I was so wrong on Duran last year. I think he's probably ready to play minutes with the Pistons. But Omari, like we've talked a little bit about, and we'll talk more about that backcourt so crowded. I could understand him playing some G League minutes just to get him time because you have such a crowded backcourt. So I don't know that he needs it or you have to do it. You just may have to do it out of necessity because you want him to get playing time. Jalen Duran was getting playing time right from the start. But if Sasser's not, then he might as well be getting some G League time. Yeah, I'm curious to see. Uh, I mean, he will be the first uh, Pistons first round pick to play for the crews, uh, which just because there haven't been any precedent for it, I would just assume that they're not going to do that with him. But again, if it's just like a playing time, like our backcourt is so crowded that there's just no minutes available. Maybe that changes the thought process going into that a little bit. And then you also have a new coach. So maybe Monty will have different preferences compared to Dwayne Casey, which we haven't really talked about as much. So uh, that's a, a TBD. I would still be surprised to see it happen. But I mean, again, if he's just riding the bench for, you know, weeks on end just because of how crowded that group is, then, you know, maybe he's like, I just want to go down to uh, the Motor City Cruise to get some minutes in. So TBD, we'll see as far as that. But right now, I would still predict that he won't. Ryan gives me the shush emoji. You're right, Ryan. I just need to keep my mouth shut so I'm not wrong again. So <laughs> fi- final two right here. Ivy hasn't been talking much about. I feel big things coming from him. What do you guys think? We did talk about him quite a bit on last episode and his performance. Yeah, I think he's going to be in a really good role this year. I quickly touched on it earlier, Amari, where I felt like he was kind of playing out of his role last year because Cade was hurt. I believe in the catch-and-shoot three-point shooting from Jay Nivey. I believe in him as an off-ball player. I think that's actually what's best for him, play off the ball, not exclusively, but a lot of minutes. I thought some of his on-ball defense, Amari, was really good in summer league off ball he gets a little ball watchy and has to improve some things but yeah i think this is a huge year for him and again it gives hopefully another 75 80 games for this front office to evaluate him and just see how good he is going to be but i do feel like he's forgotten a little bit i did a poll amari from the pistons fan base of who's the best prospect outside of Cade cunningham on the roster ivy finished third in that now it was really close but duran finished first then asar then ivy so i do feel like he's not like just way in the back, but I, I feel like he's forgotten a little bit about, and I think he's going to have a big year. Yeah, I mean, I think him playing off of Cade is just going to do wonders for him, uh, just not having to carry too much of a load. You know, I think he is a playmaking too. Like, I still think, like, he could play point guard, but if you're just talking about maximizing uh, his skill set, he's probably more of like that Donovan Mitchell. Uh, if he's a one, like, you're fine, but you probably want him playing off of somebody so he could really attack and not have to worry about setting up other people. Uh, you know, and then of course, just getting a more spot up threes, more easy shot attempts would be good for him as well. So uh, I'm I'm excited to watch him next season. I think with Cade being back, that's going to be a really dynamic backcourt. All right, let's close it out with this. Speaking of Cade, what are reasonable expectations for Cade returning after surgery and a year out? I, I mean, I'm not going to temper my expectations, Amari. I have big expectations for Cade scoring in the 20s, grabbing rebounds, assists, being the face of the franchise. If if he's the guy that we all think he is. You know, I think he should be able to come in. And you know, maybe there's some growing pains early in the season, right? Maybe it's a slow start. But in general, I have big expectations for what he's going to do on both ends of the floor. I think you have more talent around him than his rookie season. You have more floor spacing. You have lob threats. You have some wing defenders. So maybe he doesn't have to do that. I just think he has... Obviously, it's not a perfect roster. But I think you have the right pieces around him for him to really be successful. And I expect nothing less than to see him really shine here in year three. Absolutely. I think, I mean, he'll be full go uh, coming into this upcoming season. And I mean, no hoes barred, right? I expect him to come in and really 
uh, just embrace being an alpha dog for this team as he did, you know, as a rookie and then at the beginning of last year as well. And yeah, I mean, you know, again, I said the other the other month, like if games are planned, you could probably give it a full go, and it'll be enough time between now and the regular season where I expect to have no other setbacks. So, uh, hey, you know, Kay's the guy. Uh, he's the guy who stirs the drink or whatever the saying is. Uh, you know, I expect him to come back and have a pretty big year next season. All right, guys, that's it for this week of the Pistons Pulse. We appreciate you guys so much. Again, if we haven't read your rating and review yet, we will get to it. I promise we just got such an influx, which we appreciate so much that we needed to space them out a little bit. Again, keep dropping those. I think we're getting close to 200 ratings on Apple. So go ahead and get us up there. If you haven't, Spotify, we're getting close to 250. So get us over that mark. YouTube, the free press, YouTube went over 20,000 subscribers. So if you're not subscribed, hit that like We will be back next week. We'll record live on Tuesday night. I'm going on a vacation to the lake, so I won't be back until we can record on Tuesday. So look out for the link on Tuesday. We'll drop the podcast on Wednesday if you're listening on podcast version. Sorry for the little mix-up with the drop date, but got to make the wife happy. We're going with the in-laws to the lake, so we're going to enjoy that a little bit. Appreciate all of you this episode. Wes, I hope you and your wife have had a great evening and a great anniversary. Omari, take it away, my guy. Yeah, Bryce, you deserve some time off anyway. So everybody will be able to sit tight until Wednesday when we drop the new episode. So again, thank you everybody for joining in today. And I will close this out. A big thanks to our audio producer, Robin Chan, our executive producer, Hanjanet Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. And big shout out to Wes, as always. We'll talk to you all next week.